Hello everyone, hope you're doing well. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful fall day outside and I looked at the extended forecast this morning, in-depth forecast, and it said we might have a pattern change next week and actually get some rain. Um, that would be great. We'll keep praying for it. What we're going to do right now is take a look at summarizing our passage of scripture in our midweek class last week. And the passage we looked at was from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 10. Again, that was 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 10. Now, in this passage, my goodness, this is this is um, one of the more mysterious uh, passages of scripture we find um, in all of the New Testament. We get a little bit of insight into uh, the early Christian life of the of, of the Apostle Paul. Matter of fact, at the time that he he had this vision, as you'll see, um, his his name was actually his name was actually Saul. Still, um, he wasn't being wasn't being referred to as Paul yet. Um, but uh, just some some pretty amazing. He uses this as, I guess I should say, as part of his credentials, because that's what we're in the middle of, defending his apostleship. And he's so embarrassed about doing this that he he, he doesn't even use uh, first person. He, he trying to uses a third person type of thing, speaking about a man that he knows who had a vision. By the end of it, it's very clear that it was him who had this vision. Um, but by him having to do this, and, and as I said, being embarrassed to do this, we still get to see something that otherwise we might not have ever gotten to see that occurred in the life of, of, of Paul. And it's, it's, it's a pretty neat insight. It really is. And again, very mysterious. So all that being said, I'll give you an opportunity to read that. Um, again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Just press pause on your phone or your player there, and, um, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Okay, hopefully you had the opportunity to um, take a look at that passage of Scripture. First of all, as again, this is this is part of Paul's um, credentials as being um, a, a bona fide, um, legitimate apostle. Um, and this gives us maybe a, a, an insight to the, possibly the tactics of his opponents, those outsiders who were in Corinth trying to stir up trouble for him amongst the church. Um, first of all, perhaps, perhaps they boasted of visions themselves. And Paul's like, okay, let, let me tell you about a real vision. All right. So that, that might be what's taking place. Or perhaps they attacked Paul's initial vision of Jesus, because Paul did absolutely see Jesus. He saw Jesus in a vision on his way to Damascus, on his way to persecute Christians there um, years before. And not only did he see Jesus, but he saw Jesus glorified in this vision um, in, in such a powerful way that it blinded him. So um, now not Jesus' full glory would have killed him, but, um, but enough of his glory that it blinded him. So um, Paul makes it clear here in the beginning of this passage that this, this vision was from the Lord. All right, so it says... This man that he knows, again, obviously him. Um, the chronology of this, by the way, um, just to set this up in your mind, this is early in the following year's um, life of, of the Apostle Paul. Again, his name's still Saul at this time. It would fall somewhere between Acts 9.30 and Acts 11.25 um, when this took place. And he says that he was caught up and taken, whether he was this was done physically or just spiritually in the form of a vision, he doesn't know. It was such an impactful vision, he doesn't know if he actually experienced it physically. Um, 
So basically, what what is that that word caught up is is harpazo, um, and what it means in the Greek is a wild beast seizing its prey. So we're talking about a violent taking here, something that was that was a powerful taking. It, actually, it's the exact same verse that's used in Acts. Eight, speaking of Philip after he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch and they came up out of the water, he was taken away by the Holy Spirit. Um, and there's some debate about what that was. Did he like disappear or did the Spirit put it on his, the Holy Spirit put it on Philip's spirit? You need to go to, you need to go to Samaria right now. Whatever, whatever it was, um, that's the same word that is used. Um, Paul talks about in this vision, he, he was caught up into the third heaven, um, which is a Jewish concept, um, and he, he got to enter and see paradise. This, is, this word paradise um, in, in the Greek had a Persian origin, um, uh, and it was a walled enclosure. Like I said, we probably don't think of walled enclosure as a paradise. We think of it as a prison, but, um, but Hebrew and Greek borrowed from this Persian word. Um, as a matter of fact, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uses the same word in referencing the Garden of Eden. Jesus uses this word when he's on the cross, and he speaks to one of the thieves on the cross with him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Same word. This word is also used in Revelation 2, speaking of the new Eden, the new garden um, that will be in the world to come, and um, and uses that same word, paradise. Um uh, moving on, just a few more details. I'm not going to talk a lot about the actual vision because we don't know a whole lot about what it was about. We know it was powerful. We know what Paul said or what Paul saw and more specifically what Paul heard. Um, that's something he doesn't talk about much what he saw. He said there are things, there are words that he heard that he is not permitted to speak. And even if he was, um, he does not have the ability in this life, in this world, to put what he heard into concepts that are understandable. It is too far beyond anything our language could capture. So he saw something, heard something absolutely amazing. And then he moves on to say to keep him from taking pride in himself for having the opportunity to see this vision, because not very many people get to experience something like that, there was given him a thorn in his flesh. There has been all kinds of commentary about what this thorn might have been. I mean all kinds of possibilities that are thrown out there. It does seem like from the language that Paul uses, thorn, flesh, that, um, and the word thorn is actually scallops in the Greek, and it is a splinter, um, which I can, we can all understand that, you know, you, you get a splinter and they'll just drive you crazy until you get those things out. Um, uh, from this terminology, it seems like this was some sort of physical ailment, and, and one that, that perhaps is touched on a number of times in, in, in Paul's writing and, and in his life in Acts, as, is, as recorded. Um, Galatians 4 is one of these places. The interesting thing about this thorn, Paul says, this is a messenger of Satan. And then you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did, did Satan and God team up here on this? I don't think I would quite put it that way, but God is powerful and in control enough to use the work of Satan to his, to his glory and to his purpose. Um, there are other times in scripture when this happens. Uh, King Saul of the Old Testament, when he turned away from God and disobeyed God, there was a, there was a evil spirit that was sent to torment him, and and the language seems to make it pretty clear God was a part of sending that. Um, we think about Job. 
um, when Job, uh, God, and, and Satan are having a conversation about Job, and, and God basically ends that conversation, says, do whatever you want to with him, just don't kill him. Um, and we kind of have issues with that, but we probably better not. Here's the thing about it. What took place with Job grew Job. What took place with Paul in this thorn in the flesh grew the Apostle Paul. Um, so, so don't misunderstand. God is still in control in these situations. And sometimes difficulty comes to our benefit and for our growth. Um, now, Paul, he didn't like it. He wanted to go away three different times. Um, probably the language seems to make it clear that he prayed this early in, in the time and then decided to live with this because when he prayed for it to be removed, he was told, he was told no after the third time asking this and the Lord speaking to him saying, my grace is sufficient for you. Um, and Paul's preaching was effective despite his physical weakness, whatever that weakness was. And because he was weak and God is the one who made him strong, the praise went to God. And that is Paul's, as we see wrapping up this past particular passage, Paul's view of weak versus strong. When we are weak and yet we still work for the Lord and our work for the Lord is successful, it becomes very clear who's really at work. It's God working through us, and, and that promotes a humble dependency on our part on God. So weakness is, do we like weakness? No, I don't think anybody likes weakness. But weakness can be something that keeps us fully dependent upon God, and that is never a bad thing. So um, that's our passage, and uh, today is the 11th, October 11th, uh, or I mean, today is to October 17th, I should say. That passage is the one we looked at last Wednesday on October 11th. Tomorrow night, October 18th, we will cover, try to, it's a pretty good chunk, but we'll try to cover the remainder of chapter 12. So we'd love to have you come join us. We have a meal at 6 o'clock. And um, I think we're having chili tomorrow night, which fits pretty well with, with fall weather outside. Um, and then after dinner, um, there will be classes for, for all ages. So we would love to have at 7 o'clock. So we'd absolutely love to have you come and join us. Hope you have a good rest of your day. Enjoy that fall weather out there.